Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. And yes, as you probably could have guessed by this moment, I have decided in 2020 to run for president. So, it's 2020. The presidential election. Kanye versus Trump. Who's going to win? That digs on me. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101. This is Matthew Aaron. And today we have a very special guest. We have Joey Krug, co-founder of Augur. If you don't know who Augur is, Augur is a $300 million market cap token platform in the space right now. And we are very, very happy to welcome him to explain what is Augur. After talking to Joey about Augur, I find that not only is it an amazing concept, but it's so interesting to think about the predictive abilities of the masses. Please listen to this interview, enjoy. But before the interview, please come on to Crypto101Podcast.com. That's Crypto101Podcast.com. You can come and join any of our social networks there, our Twitter, our Facebook, our Instagram. Come join our Facebook group. It's growing really, really fast. Uh, there's a lot of good people there to give you advice if you need it. And also, please check out our Patreon page. Our Patreon page, you can be a $5 Rarius on Mars member. And over there, we'll put down the rants and commentaries from Crypto 101. Also on our page, we just uploaded the intro for ICO 101 and Good Morning Bitcoin. So those are two other podcasts that we are going to put out. And we hope you enjoy them. But without further ado, here is Joey Krug, co-founder of Augur. I'll see you after the show. Joey, thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. If you could, just really quick, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself, history, name, and who you are? Sure. Uh, so my name is Joey Krug. I'm from a small town in Illinois called Knoxville. And <clears throat> I got into crypto in 2011 when I saw a post about it on an online forum called overclock.net. I started mining Bitcoin back in 2011 and then didn't really do a whole lot with it again until 2013 when I started a project to basically create a point of sale for Bitcoin. So you could pay with Bitcoin in stores is the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then ended up shelving that. Um, and if you're interested in why, we can talk about that why. But uh, ended up shelving that and starting another project called Augur, which was uh, one of the first projects on Ethereum. And it's a platform for prediction markets. Um, and then uh, this spring, I ended up joining a, a firm called Pantera Capital, where we invest in the blockchain space. What is Augur, first of all, and what is the basic idea behind it? So the way, the way I kind of got involved in it was, with Bitcoin, I thought it was really cool because you had to see centralized money for the first time. But... Then I realized that there wasn't really a decentralized financial system you could use it in. So sure, you could send Bitcoin from one person to another, but you couldn't, you know, enter into a bet with Bitcoin or, you know, enter into a derivative contract. And the reason was, if you wanted to do that, you had to send it to a trusted third party, just like you do today. Um, They would charge you a pretty high fee and you trust that they'll pay you out. So that's kind of, you know, the way of the old world before crypto. 
Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to create this sort of platform to enable this. And so as I thought about, about it more, kind of hit upon the idea that there are basically three main problems with the financial system today, in my opinion. One is that it's pretty segregated. So it's, you know, the chance is almost zero that when you're trading, say, Apple, that someone from China or Russia will be on the other side of that trade. Mm-hmm. Another problem with it is it's, it's very expensive. Um, and so it's really expensive to, to do two things. One is to create new sorts of markets. So if you wanted to make a market on, um, you know, how many inches of rain will fall someplace in, you know, a random valley in Chile, that may not be that important to, you know, a firm on Wall Street, right? right. But uh, to the farmer in Chile who wants to hedge against, you know, drought or flood, um, it's pretty useful. But today it would cost them millions of dollars to do it, um, and it's just not worth it. And the kind of third final problem is trading fees are very high. Um, for finance, they're pretty low, but for things like, say, sports betting, they're really high. They're 10 you know, percent plus um, of the profits you make when you're, when you're speculating on these things. And so that was, those are the kind of problem sets that Augur set out to solve. And there's this kind of old idea in economics called prediction markets. Um, it was started with the economist Frederick Hayek, who wrote a paper about it um, called The Use of Knowledge in Society. He basically said, well, prices are information. And so if you have more ways to price things, you have a more efficient economy. And then you know, a decade or so later, um, two economists named Arrow and Debro ended up winning the Nobel Prize for an idea that they called complete, complete markets. It was the idea that if you could speculate on essentially anything, then the economy would be more efficient because you could hedge against various risks. You could make certain bets you otherwise wouldn't be able to make, things like that. And so with Augur, Augur, the idea in a nutshell was to actually enable this for the first time. So Augur, what it allows you to do is it allows you to create these new kind of financial markets very, very cheaply um, you know, for $10, $20 instead of $10 or $20 million. Right. And then it lets anyone anywhere in the world uh, speculate on them on, on Ethereum. All right. So just let me get this straight. Just let me put it in a nutshell. Augur allows you to take random events, or maybe not random, but normal everyday life events how much rain falls in, like you said, uh, Cambodia, or who's going to win the presidential election, and hedge those bet or bet on those outcomes. Am I correct? Yep. So, what is the possible use cases of this besides you know betting, making money, and having what? What else could you do with Augur? Who could use this information? Yeah. So there's there's kind of a few main use cases, and you, yeah, you can point out there's the betting one. There's there's another big one. It's a financial one. Um, just because the financial markets are so segregated today, a person in China, they're forced to buy Chinese stocks. Mm-hmm. They can't buy something that's, you know, pegged to the price of Apple. Right. So if you want, if you look at China and you wonder, well, why is the stock market so crazy there? There's two reasons. One is the growing economy, but the other one is they're forced to buy it. They can't buy anything else. Right. And so if they were able to use something like Augur, they could buy, you know, a contract pegged to the S&P's price or a contract pegged to the price of Apple. Right. Um, another really kind of powerful use case, I think, is you know they're called prediction markets, and the reason is they're used to predict things. And so you can predict um, if you look at you know historically how accurate groups like pundits and experts are. They're very inaccurate. Um, but on the studies that economists have done, prediction markets are actually one of the most accurate ways to forecast future events. So this could be anything you know relatively benign, like um, who will become president, you know, in a certain election. Um, all the way to, you know, whether a certain country will invade another country or whether there will be, you know, political instability in a certain country. Um, you know, you, you can kind of predict almost anything with it. And so the way I kind of think about it is the implications of it long term are 
Well, if you look at, you know, forecasting the weather, that's pretty much the main thing that we can predict pretty accurately about the future today. I think in the long run, we'll be able to predict a lot more things besides just weather. Big picture of Augur in the future. Do you think that you'll be on Google saying presidential election 2020 and they will have the their idea of who's going to win plus maybe their Augur score? Yeah, I think they will. Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, I can I can envision a future where you ask Siri, you know, hey, hey, Siri, who's going to win the 2020 presidential election? And she pulls it up and says, you know, well, according to Augur, um, you know, Kanye has a 20 percent chance or something like that. <laughs> Kanye. <laughs> nice one, man. Nice one. So this is very interesting because I was watching a lot of your videos and watching a lot of your interviews and the masses and what they say about future events are more accurate than polls and all these other ways to rate or predict these these outcomes. What do you think are the negatives to be able to predict outcomes and who could take the piss out of it? Who could take advantage of the situation? Yes, yeah, so first of all, I, you know, I, of course, I obviously believe the positives outweigh the negatives. Otherwise, I wouldn't be you know, doing it right. But uh, of course, of course, think, of course. But I think I that think, in every yeah, in every situation, you yeah. ha- everybody has to think of the negatives. Like what are yep. you're the expert? Yes, yeah, so I think the negatives here are, you know, you can imagine an example, uh, a simple example, if you take like a sporting match, well, the player in the match can throw the game, bet that he's going to lose. Mm-hmm. and you know make money off of it mm-hmm. now in a lot of scenarios those incentives exist today mm-hmm. um there's lots of kind of little things in financial markets where you could make money by you know messing some event up by you know causing your you could literally make money by causing your own business to lose money right. if you you know buy options on it that expired you know at a certain time and and you know cause some problem in your business to cause it to lose money right but um i think you know when, when the markets are relatively small that's much less of an issue when the markets get starting starting to become very very large, then those sorts of things, um, you know, become much more real problems. There's no super good way to kind of combat them. You know, say say that player like had a, you know a known Ethereum address and you saw that he bet on the match. Well, then you'd obviously call him out for it. Um, however, with this tech, it's becoming easier and easier to do things more privately. Um, so it gets a lot harder. It gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. Um, there are still some ways to do it though. Here's an example. Say you you know bet. Say you're you know, a player for the Yankees and you bet a million dollars that the Yankees were going to lose the next match mm-hmm. and you're their all-star hitter. So you strike out every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, people notice that you um, that all of a sudden there is a withdrawal to, you know, your exchange account for a million dollars or, you know, I guess make it more than a million because you won money. So say you withdrew five million. Right. Then it would be pretty easy to detect. So I think that's something that, you know, maybe like regulators will look at in the very long term. You know, assuming all this takes off and gets widely popular, that's the sort of stuff they'll monitor like they do in regular financial markets as well. You know, people doing things maliciously for their own gain, you know, even when it's not actually like, you know, ethical to do so. Right. You said when all this takes off, what stage is Augur in right now um, in development and putting this predictive market into into action? Yeah. So right now, Augur's in security audits. So the way Augur's gone so far is in 2015, we released an alpha version. Mm -hmm. Uh, In 2016, we released a beta and then it's still been in beta this year. And a few weeks ago, it, it started entering software security audits. So we're having groups of people like academics and you know some companies look at the code, try to find any kind of obvious issues or vulnerabilities or bugs with it, mm-hmm. and then fix those up before we launch the kind of first version. And the first version of Augur that launches on the main Ethereum network will actually be pretty, it's kind of funny, it's, it's a market on Augur for whether the market will be hacked. So the, the question is going to be, 
will the money in this market be stolen? And we'll put up some initial seed capital for it to encourage people to try to break the system. Um, so that's kind of how we're going to kick things off and, and then you know iterate from there. So that's interesting that you guys are actually trying to test your system to see how far it can go and how secure it is. And are you worried about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think um, <clears throat> you should always be concerned about security at these sorts of systems, mm-hmm. um, especially because they, they deal with money. And so I think the kind of best ways you can kind of deal with that issue is, is one is having a bunch, a bunch of different groups of people review the code. You know, they'll catch a lot of issues, but they won't catch all of them. Two is writing lots of tests for the code. That's a good way to catch lots of issues. Three is there's some automated tools that will kind of automatically find common issues with your code. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, fourth is my favorite anyway, is, you know, running these sorts of bounty, bounty programs where people can gain money if they break your software. And right. that's kind of the best way, in my opinion, to get lots of eyes and, and people trying to really break the thing. Because if they break it, you know, maybe they can win, you know, earn money for doing so. Best case scenario, you got all these academics, scholars, hackers, developers looking at Augur. It gets the green light. It goes out there. It hits the world. Let's just say it hits the world in six months or one year. Five years from now, what do you think Augur is going to be doing and who? where is it going to be? Yeah, so I think... Um, Five years from now, there's basically two problems that I think will be solved. There's, there's more than that, but the two main ones are, one is the tech today is not very scalable. Mm-hmm. So right now, Ethereum does about 10 transactions per second. Mm-hmm. If you compare that to you know how many transactions a second you need to do like betting on real-world events, you only need you know, 100 to 1,000 per second. But if you compare it to how many you need for like you know, actual kind of trading, financial trading, then you need the number to be a lot higher. Right. needs to be like 50 to 100,000 per second. Mm-hmm. I think we'll get there. I think it's just going to take time. Right. Um, and the other kind of big thing is, you know, we need something sort of stable to denominate the markets in. Right now, they're denominated in Ether, which works fine if you have a short-term event. Like if you're, you know, betting on the election and you, and you place your bet the night before, yeah, sure, Ether may, you know, move 5 10% overnight, maybe 20% on a, on a, or 30% even on a crazy day. But uh, if you're still right about the bet, you're still going to make money. Mm-hmm. But over the longer run, um, we really need something kind of stable, like a stable cryptocurrency to denominate these markets in. If we have solutions to those those two problems, then I think um, Augur can see the you know really large scale adoption, because at that point, it's it's really kind of the thing that I've always kind of dreamed for as as you know someone who likes you know trading and finance. It's basically a platform that you can trade on with anyone anywhere in the world. You can do it super cheaply. And you can create your own markets on basically whatever you want. Right. Um, so I think it's I think that would be pretty cool. But we need those two pieces to kind of enable it. Right. You said one thing in there that I want to expand on, but I also want to ask this question, and I I'm not trying I'm not getting to the segue for it. So I'm gonna put them all in one. You said stable crypto, and I just want your opinion. What stable crypto you think is gonna be, and what's gonna have to have to happen to the market to get that stable crypto? And the other one I want to you to talk a little bit about is the weighted reputation that aspect of auger cool yeah the, the weighted reputation one i always used to <clears throat> explain that to everyone who asked me about auger and then i realized that well that's the most complicated part and and sometimes people just kind of glaze over if you start explaining that but uh <laughs> exactly. yeah, I, I have a couple questions that. on that one too because i think that that's something that could maybe maybe you could tell me about this as well can it be manipulated and if it can be manipulated what was the police network for that yeah so i'll answer the stable coin one first i think it's i think it's shorter 
Okay. Um, so the stable coin, <laughs> so the stable coin one. So like some people say, there's a few different schools of thought here, and I'll just go over all of them pretty quickly. Right. So the first school of thought says that Bitcoin, you know, eventually once it reaches a really high market cap, is going to be stable. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I don't believe that. I mean, if you look at say gold, yeah, gold is you know stable relative to Bitcoin, but it's still too volatile to use kind of on a, on a daily transactional currency basis. Amen. Um, so I think it, I think it needs to be lower vol than that. So then the second school of thought says, okay, well, actually there's four. I got, I, I lied, there's four. So the, second school, <laughs> so the second school of thought says, okay, well, here's the way you solve it. You just put money in a bank account. The bank account issues tokens and you use those. The problem with that is it's pretty centralized. You have to trust that the bank doesn't like steal your money, that it doesn't get frozen. There's a lot of weird transparency issues with that. That model is basically the tether model. A third model is create a stable coin. And if you look at the progression of money over time, Right now, you know, first we started with used gold, it's money. Then, you know, we said, okay, well, we'll make, you know, fiat money and it's backed by gold. Mm-hmm. And then people said, well, we'll just make fiat money and back it by nothing. Mm-hmm. And then people said, um, so the next step in this kind of evolution is, well, sorry, the last step was back it by nothing, but we'll back it by the government, supposedly. Right. And the kind of next evolution of thought there is, well, why don't we just make fiat money, make it backed by literally nothing, not by the government, not by anyone. <laughs> and so, and so if you look at, there's some stable coins that are like that. I don't think, I don't think that has a high chance of working, but it, you know, it, it might. There's enough weird stuff in economics due to like weird behavioral biases that may make that work. And then the fourth kind that I think probably will work is um, collateral-backed stable cryptocurrencies. So these are where you back it with collateral, and so you know that the money's going to be there. Um, so you need to kind of exchange it back into a different currency. Um, so an example of this is a project like Maker. In the short to mid run, they're pretty complicated because crypto is volatile, which is the thing you're using to back it. Mm-hmm. But as more and more assets become, you know, tokenized and like in the crypto world, like if you can imagine a world where you have bonds, stocks, commodities, et cetera, all in crypto, then you could back it by a basket of those, which doesn't vary much, very, very much in price at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's you know a pretty sustainable way to do it onto the reputation thing. <laughs> yeah, man, I guess so. So, uh, so reputation in Augur. So Augur, there's the prediction market side of it, which is the cool, uh, fun part that, that's, I think, going to be, you know, the world-changing part of it. But there's another piece of it, which is what actually makes the whole thing work. It's the kind of, you know, not as, not as cool part, but it's, but it's, it's much cooler from a, from a tech perspective. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is, imagine you have one of these markets that's like, will Trump, you know, become president in 2020 again? Right. Um, you know, or will Kanye? Um, or will it be someone else. After the election happens, you need a way to resolve that market. Mm-hmm. So what you need to happen is you need for people who say Kanye wins, you need for the people who bought Kanye shares to get paid out. You need the people who bought Trump to lose money. The kind of obvious thing is is, is to say, well, why don't we just ping an API that has that result? <clears throat> like surely the CNN election API, we can just get it from that. The problem with that is you know, twofold. One is, Blockchains like Ethereum don't have internet access. They can't ping an API, so they can't actually get the result. And then the second problem is, even if you could, since prediction markets will have lots of financial and monetary incentives surrounding them, mm-hmm. CNN or whatever could change the API result and resolve the market wrong. Right. Now, sure, if he can win $100 doing that, he's not going to do it. But what if it's $100 million? Right. He might. Um, and so that, that's the kind of big, the big problem, that and the lack of internet access. So the next obvious way to solve this problem is you say, okay, well, why don't we just, um, you know, appoint someone to do it and we'll pay him to do it. Mm-hmm. That has the same problem as the CNN guy. He can, you know, buy the other side, say that um, Trump won even though he didn't. Or in the case of, say, a market on Apple's price, he could say that Apple closed at zero 
um, and short Apple and make a bunch of money, even though Apple really closed at you know 165 or something. And so that that's the problem. And the way we we approach solving it is we say, well, why don't we distribute this across a bunch of different people? Those people are called reporters. Each of those reporters will have reputation associated with them. And reputation is like the best word we, we can think of to describe it. Mm-hmm. But it's not even it's not even the perfect word for it because what it is is it's not reputation like you have like five stars on Amazon or you know A plus 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 on eBay. Right. It's it's a very it's a very weird reputation. It's a very economic reputation. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is so there'll be a market like you know how many inches of rain fell in Chile on this day. And as a reporter, you'll say, well, twelve inches of rain fell, and I'm willing to back that. I'm willing to stake it with my reputation. Right. And my reputation is something that has economic valuable value. It's actually tradable. And I'm willing to say, I'm saying, I'm willing to lose this reputation if I'm lying. Mm-hmm. So if in reality, 55 inches of rain fell, I'm going to lose this. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. And um, the, way, the way it's set up is in exchange for reporting, those reporters get paid fees. So the kind of incentive that keeps them honest um, is not really honesty or altruism or anything. It's just greed by wanting to get the continued fees. <laughs> um, and the reason is, you know, if they were to report dishonestly, um, the whole system would kind of collapse and they would no longer be paid because no one would create markets on that system. So anymore. is the honesty um, checked by consensus or is it checked by um, news or media or how, how do you check that 12 inches of rainfall fell on Chile? Yeah, so it's it's a consensus algorithm. So the way it works, you just have one person report on the market because you want to make this as efficient as possible. So mm-hmm. either that one person reported honestly or incorrectly or, or they reported wrong. If they reported correct, it's over. It's done. That's it. If they reported wrong, then what you can do is you can challenge that. You can post what we call a bond and you're mm-hmm. saying, hey, I think this is wrong. If I'm right about this being wrong, I want to get rewarded for it. If I'm you know, just wasting everyone's time and it's not really wrong, I'm willing to lose this bond that I posted. Right. And then what happens is, you know, a, a select group of people report on it. Okay. If it's if you still think it's wrong, you can challenge it again. Everyone reports on it. If you still think it's wrong, so so that last one where everyone reports on it, the incentives are such that in order to kind of cheat that, you would need to buy up, you know, over half of the rep that's reported in Augur, which you know ideally should be very expensive to do. Right. Um, even if that fails, then what you can do is you can post a very large bond and trigger what's called a fork. And in a fork, what happens is... This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows granger has got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Is one part of the network says Trump won, one part of the network says Kanye won. And now all of a sudden there's two sets of reputation. And so as a person who's trading or creating markets or being a reporter, you're gonna want to participate in the in the side that reflects reality. The only group the only group of people who are gonna want to say stay in the side that you know is wrong and incorrect are people who bet on that incorrect outcome. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is that that group of people is much smaller than every other single person in the, in the entire system. Mm-hmm. The only scenario in which that isn't true, like if, if Augur is just like the market and there's no other markets in the system, mm-hmm. that logic kind of falls apart. But assuming there are, you know, more, there are more than like a handful of markets in Augur, 
um, that logic should should you know make sense. Okay, so say you're a reporter with reputation, what have you, and since this is a new system, why wouldn't I don't know if even this is possible. Why wouldn't say CNN or CNBC or whatever company it is start putting these people in place of the reporters or I'm not, I'm not talking real reporters, but just these people involved with the system and start using their news medias or their their indus, industries as way to manipulate just the just the whole economy, the whole news, the whole futures and the reputations is kind of, you know what I'm saying? So you mean use the real news to manipulate what reporters think, right? And the outcomes, I guess. I mean, so yeah. kind of like kind of like little mole spies. Like they're in the system, and they they accumulate all this reputation, and they're kind of working as a as like a little machine. You know, they have these guys out there that are decentralized. You have these big media out there that actually have these guys into the system, and but we're relying on them as a decentralized reputation to prove your predictive model. Yeah. So, um, so in, I mean, in that scenario. There's kind of two different paths, pathways here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is less of a problem. The other one's a much bigger problem. So the, the one that's less of a problem is basically where they you know, actually start participating as reporters in the network, and all of a sudden they start reporting incorrectly on things and trying to resolve them incorrectly. In that scenario, you know, it just takes one other person in the world who's greedy and knows that they're wrong mm-hmm. in order to challenge it and post a bond to challenge it. If CNN happens to control, you know, over half the network, then what would happen is the network would split into two. And, you know, yes, CNN could try to manipulate the market, you know, indefinitely. But that, that's kind of an assumption that Augur and prediction markets and financial markets in general rely upon the idea that it's not possible to manipulate something indefinitely. Right. Um, and so as long as you're willing to accept that, then um, the kind of fork should eventually resolve and people should kind of coalesce on one side of reality. Mm-hmm. That said, the scenario where it gets weird, you know, what if CNN just started reporting the news incorrectly to try to get reporters to believe stuff that wasn't true so they would resolve market. Right. Or, or like the fake news from like uh, Ru- Russia hacks into the social media sort of things. Yeah. And so that stuff is it's pretty it's pretty dystopic to think about. You know, I, I think it'd be very difficult to like if you, if you take the election one as an example, mm-hmm. I think it'd be very difficult to fuse people about who won the election say after the new president was already in office, right. you know, sure, maybe you could get you know some sort of reality distortion field where people in say, you know, say like a, a random third world country with not internet access, <coughs> with no internet access might believe that, you know, Kanye is president, even though he's not, if you, right. you know, did, did enough media brainwashing. But I think um, the idea behind Augur is if you're really unsure about what happened with an event, you don't have to stake, you know, your rep on it. You could just report on events that you are right. confident happened what i'm thinking about is the i would assume these are odds i mean okay you have a yes or no scenario yes kanye's president no kanye's not and you know you're getting paid on you're getting paid or winning or or what have you on the outcome but leading up to the outcome for example the exit polls in this last election everybody thought clinton was gonna win you know but then when the when the actual and i think that was a lot because of the the russia media the media believing the social media and that the masses until they found out the actual re- election results. So wouldn't that skew the whole market? Okay. I see the question you're asking now. Um, so yeah, the question is more about the markets than even the reporters. Yeah, um, I guess so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, or um, I just don't know what the question I'm asking. <laughs> That's yeah, so probably it too. I've heard this question before, so I'll, I'll rephrase it. The question is basically, you know, what happens if basically what happens if everyone, you know, in the market believes something that's just not true. Or they think something's likely to happen that isn't true. Or basically, the idea is, you know, what if the market's wrong? 
Right. Um, and, and the answer is, well, markets can be wrong and they're, they're wrong, you know, um, a good amount of the time. The cool thing about markets though is you just have to be, or, or predictive tools in general is you just have to be less wrong than the other people. It's kind of like when people say, you know, democracy, democracy is the best form of government or sorry, democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same financial markets and predicting stuff. So there's always going to be like, you know, you can always point to one individual who called everything right, but nobody's consistent in that way. The only sort of tools that are actually consistent for, as far as predicting the future are markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they are, and they are wrong sometimes. Like the prediction markets were pretty wrong about Trump's uh, odds of being elected. That said, you know, some of the markets had him around 40% chance of winning. That does mean that four times out of 10, you know, he would have been elected. And so when you're measuring probabilities, one mistake that people make is they say, well, if something, say like, say I told you like Hillary had a 60% chance of winning, the average person on the street you tell that to translates that into, that means Hillary's going to win. But actually when I say 60%, what I'm actually saying is I think six times out of 10, Hillary should win. But four times out of 10, she's going to lose. And so when you're measuring the accuracy of these sorts of things, there are actually ways to measure it. You basically, what you do is you look at it and you say, okay, out of all the times, you know, the market said this is going to happen six out of 10 times. How many times did it actually happen? Did it actually happen six out of 10? Did it actually happen eight out of 10? Or did it happen three out of 10? Right. And that's how you kind of measure the accuracy. And then as, as far as, you know, why, why did the markets get Trump wrong? You know, I think so, sometimes it's just like the zeitgeist or what people are thinking. They're just not kind of in tune with reality. One example of this is the people who participate in prediction markets, a lot of them aren't the same sort of people who would vote for Donald Trump. Because for one, most markets right now are outside of the United States. So already you kind of have a bias to the markets, which is U.S. citizens aren't participating in. There is kind of one market that allows you to speculate on U.S. elections in the U.S. There's two, but um, both of them have pretty small bet limits or trade limits. Right. So on one of them, you can trade $500. On the other one, you can trade $800. And so that leads to kind of bad market pricing because if you can really only you know bet $500 or $800, what it kind of turns it into is it almost turns it into a poll, um, which is not what you want. In markets, you want people who are much more confident to be able to bet a lot more money. If they're wrong, they'll lose that money and they'll you know, be wiped out in the long run. Right, right. You mind if I take this uh, conversation just for more general questions about the space and maybe a little personal? Sure. What What is your background? I know you gave a little introduction before, but what's your uh, education background, degrees? Are you an economist? And another thing is, I noticed that you were wearing a shirt with Chinese in your pictures. You speak Chinese? You've been to China? Hi. What's, what picture do you see of me in a shirt in Chinese? I think um, it's on the it's on your website, Augur website, your profile picture there. Oh, oh yeah, that's like years ago. Um, no, no, I don't. I don't speak Chinese. Um, although I'm learning it on Duolingo. Um, oh, man. Cool. But, but uh, my background is, you know, mo- mostly I've just been in crypto my most of my like working life. The way I kind of got interested in finance in general was in middle school. I started started betting on on horse races. Mm. Started making you know linear models for for betting on horse races. Um, so basically, looking at things like the horse's past performances. Um, how you know horses do when they have when they've taken Lasix before the race, or they have blinders on or off, mm-hmm. um, or they, they do well on a muddy track or, or a dry track or a fast track or a wet track. 
there's a lot of data in horse racing that mostly people look at because they just look at the, the horse name and that. So it's really inefficient <laughs> market. And so that, that's kind of where I got first got started in the finances. I started spending on horse races. And so I do it every day after school. I started with like $20, $20 that I borrowed from my mom and you know built it up into a few thousand. And then at that point, people were saying, well, you should invest in the stock market. It's much safer. So that's when I kind of started getting involved in, in regular investing in finance. The problem was, though, uh, this was 2008. So I put my money into the stock market 2008, and then the market crashed, you know, 50%. Oh, uh, so I would have been better off, you know, <laughs> continuing to bet on horse races. Um, <laughs> but then uh, in 2011, Bitcoin came out, or sorry, Bitcoin came out in 2009, but I didn't come across it until 2011. And that's when I started mining Bitcoin and really got into crypto. I was in high school at that time. And in 2013, I graduated went to college at Pomona College in Southern California, studying computer science there. And while there, that's when I started a thing to build kind of like a point of sale system to enable people to accept Bitcoin payments. Mm-hmm. And then after that first year, sold the point of sale thing, uh, started Augur, and uh, dropped out of school. And that's it. And now, now, now we're here now, and you guys are, what is it, $288 million market cap today? Yeah, something like that. Well, <laughs> congratulations on that, man. Thanks. So what do you think of the market these days anyway? What do you think of the the $11,000 Bitcoin price? What do you think of all the hype, the FUD, the tether? I mean, just in general, what do you think of the market? Are you even looking at it? You know, I look at it once in a while. You know, you don't want to look at it like 24-7. Otherwise, you, you just go crazy, right. uh, even, if, even if you're right in your convictions. I think uh, the thing that's kind of weird about Bitcoin that I've noticed recently is it's really gone up a lot after people gave up on the idea of it being used for any sort of like actual transactional utility usage mm-hmm. people now are saying you know well it's digital gold and so i think Finally. that that's kind of a lot of the reason why the price has just shot up a ton because when now when you people talk about it they say well it could be a certain percentage of gold's market cap and that's why i think it's worth something and so that's that's kind of a big paradigm shift compared to before where people were valuing bitcoin based off of you know how many transactions it was seeing and stuff like that i'm also kind of pretty interested in you know stuff like ethereum i think once ethereum switches to proof of stake it becomes a lot more interesting because it's actually like a yielding asset. Right. Um, so you get paid to, to hold it and stake it. Right. And then uh, that's another reason why I really like like Augur's token design because it's one of the few that isn't recursive. So like a lot of tokens will, you know, reward you in token and then give you more token. Even Ethereum wants which is to prove a stake, you'll stake Ether and then you'll get paid Ether. Augur, since it's built on top of another platform, has kind of an interesting opportunity to you know, people who are reporting get paid fees in other currencies. Um, so I'd like to see more projects like that that are kind of less recursive in their kind of economic design. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the market overall, I think what's really interesting about it is it's it's primarily retail-driven right now. Um, so the primary traders in it are, you know, retail users. They're not like big institutions yet. So I think the big question for the market over the next year, year and a half, is will the, institu- will the retail buying pressure stay long enough until the institutions get comfortable enough to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because the question is, if the retail buy pressure kind of subsides, the institutions won't come for another you know, three, four years. That's kind of like a, a big unknown uh, to me. Who is a person in the crypto space right now that you thinks that you look up to or you think's very influential? Um, I mean, definitely uh, Vitalik Buterin. He's, he's, he's on the board of Augur, isn't he? He's an advisor, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And so I guess that goes right into the what company you do you think has the greatest impact on the crypto space or blockchain right now? And that, I'm going to assume you're going to say Ethereum or Augur. 
Yeah, I'd say right now, um, Ethereum. And I think, uh, you know, once once Augur's at scale, I think it'll have the most impact on like the consumer usage side. Mm-hmm. You know, when I, when I got into this, I was always really wanting to see, you know, actual consumer adoption in over the past few years, but it hasn't really happened yet. So I'm excited to actually see that happen. So like I said, this is Crypto 101. And what we do is we get people into the space. So what would your advice to people just coming into the space, maybe signing up a Coinbase right now, buying their first Bitcoin or a, a portion of the of a Bitcoin, what would you say to them? And what would you say to them about the next year, two or five years of the space? You know, the, the best way I, I think to approach it is to really just kind of educate yourself on on a lot of the tech. You know, I think it's it's easy to come into the space and, you know, approach it as like, oh, it's exuberant and it's a bubble. It's a way to make money. But I think if you understand the tech, you'll be all that more excited about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it a lot more fun when you're evaluating new ideas, if you actually understand the tech side of them. And so as far as best ways to do that, you know, of course, you should definitely read the Bitcoin white paper, read the Ethereum white paper. And then after that, if you're, you know, a book kind of person, um, Mastering Bitcoin by Andreas Antonopoulos is really good for getting like a really solid understanding of how Bitcoin works. I think he has another book about Ethereum coming out soon. Um, and then the other kind of great resource in the space is a lot of this stuff happens on blog posts. It's one of those rare spaces where stuff moves so fast, you can't get a book on it and, and stay up to date with, you know, what's happened over the past, you know, few years. You really kind of have to be, be reading the latest stuff. And I think the best way to do that would be to, you know, follow a good amount of people in the space on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then uh, there's actually a news app I use called Nuzzle. Um, which it, 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 yeah, N-U-Z-Z-L-E okay. or E-L. I don't remember which, but it basically what it does is it finds all the people in your, in your Twitter list and it finds the articles they've shared the most. And that mm. basically is like a great, a great way to get like the best news in the space. Okay. Um, and so those, those are kind of the ways I would start. We'll see anything else. If you're a developer, try writing an Ethereum smart contract, dip your feet into that. Um, Yeah. So you, so these people are coming in this space. They, like I said, they bought their Bitcoin. You told them to learn about the markets. Is that the most everybody can do to move blockchain forward? Or do you think that there's another way that they can get involved to further cause? And I guess with that, there's another question I want to ask you. Just I guess it's a personal philosophy or your own personal ideology. What do you think the political or economic future is for, for this and what would you like to see? Is it more of a centralized, decentralized, more for the people, more kind of like a symbiotic relationship between the people and the government and the financial institutions? What is your idea? What is your ideal future? Yeah. So let's see. So first on, on stuff you can do, I think a lot of the stuff that would be super useful is like, you know, we definitely need a lot more open source contributions around stuff like uh, scalability. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like sharding plasma and then stuff like proof of stake as well. It's always good to have more eyes on that. And yeah, let's see. So if anybody was not the average person though, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's not the average person, but, uh, I'm sure there's, there's there's some people out there who can do it. Oh, for sure. Um, and then what's the second question again? Okay. There's different ideologies in blockchain and how they want to go out. Centralized, decentralized, working with the institutions, kind of breaking the people and having the people take, you know, this revolution, taking control back. What camp are you in for the future of blockchain and what it can do for society and institutions and politics? And Gotcha. Um, yeah, so the way I look at it is if you, if you think about kind of what the tech enables, to me anyway, um, different people view it differently, but the way I view it is 
it's really good at taking things where today there's someone who sits in the middle as kind of this trusted intermediary and they charge a lot of fees and, and they're what I would call a rent seeker. So they're basically charging way more fees than, you know, proportional value that they actually provide for you. Right. And this sort of tech is really good at removing those sorts of rent seekers, dropping the fees for things to be much lower and kind of democratizing access to them. And so when I, when I think about it, you know, what it means for the future, I think that that's not, you know, the, the biggest piece to it. So in, in practice, like some examples of that would be, you know, I think if Airbnb were being built, you know, today, I think it would have been a blockchain based protocol mm. um, instead of a centralized company that charges, you know, 15, 20% in fees. Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing for, you know, the, the entire financial system in general. There's some aspect, there's some, you know, points at the end where you kind of need intermediaries because they're useful to have. Like some examples are like, you know, say a simple example of being someone who audits your company's books, audits your financials. It doesn't make mm-hmm. sense for them. You know, you, you hire an auditor or auditing firm. If you wanted to, you could hire multiple ones and they check your books. But uh, for stuff where you're like entering into, say, a swap agreement with another with another bank or you're entering into some sort of derivatives contract or you're betting on the price of oil or whatever, it doesn't really make sense for, the, for them to be some intermediary in the middle who charges a bunch of fees just in exchange for matching two sides of an order. Right. Um, since we have tech now that enables us to do that, I think in the future that's, it's going to continue to move in that direction. And then as far as the government side of things, I think a lot of this tech actually makes the government's job easier. You know, say you're you know, the CFTC or the SEC, a lot of the regulations that they worry about surrounding like fair operation of trading facilities and stuff like that can, can be codified in and at the protocol level. Some areas where it makes their jobs harder, right, because they want to have like a specific person or entity to regulate. And in many cases here, that just doesn't exist. But uh, a lot of the kind of regulatory mandate, like why they exist, and the sort of like, you know, unfair trading practices they try to prevent. The nice thing about this tech is you can put those sort of protections in at the, at the protocol level. Before before we get off, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on and thank you very much for your time. And congratulations on all of what Augur and your company has achieved. And we wish you the best in the future, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. The last question we have today, though, is what three songs would you like with your interview i would say revolution by the beatles all right song two by blur all right and then let's see the third one i don't know you pick a third one should we put a kanye song in there for kanye 2020 yeah yeah let's do that (laughs) all right brother thank you very much again thanks thanks for having me Thank you very much for listening to Crypto 101, and I hope you enjoyed the interview with Joey Crew. He was an amazing person to talk to, and some of the things that I have never thought of before, we just hashed out right now, and now I have a whole different idea of what blockchain is for. That's kind of what we do these interviews for. And we do these interviews not so that you can get sold on a coin or a token or a platform, but so you can understand different aspects and use cases of the blockchain. And this is one aspect or usage of the blockchain that I never thought of before. And even if I did, I wouldn't know as much as I know now. So thank you very much to Augur. Thank you very much for Joey Krug for coming on. And I also want to let you know about a new platform to go check the prices in real time of your coins. And that's ApogeeCrypto.com. A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com. 
Apogee Crypto was made by a contributor to Crypto 101. When we only had 100 listens per episode, Apogee Crypto came on, they did our logos, they gave us advice, and they helped us set up Crypto 101. So a lot of the reason why we're here right now is because of them. So when I saw that they made this website, I was like, we're putting it on there, we're promoting it, we have to let everybody know about it. Why? Because it looks good, it operates well. You can track your coins, you can make a wish list, you can make a portfolio. It gives you everything that CoinCap or CoinMarketCap will give you in a better UI, and it's just dope. Also, it's made in Australia with love. So it right at the bottom of the website. So check it out. And finally, today's songs, the first song was Kanye West, Gold Digger, featuring Jamie Foxx. The second song was Blur, song two, and this is The Beatles, Revolution. Links are in the description. Thank you very much. This is Matthew Aaron with Crypto 101. But if you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you ain't gonna make it with anyone This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.